Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here this morning. Um, so as you can see that um, we're going to be, as we've been talking about how, to, how, we, how do we live this Christian life, um, we've been talking about a lot of different topics from marriage to the family structure and um, also love and different topics like that as well as speech. Um, and today we're going to be talking about sharing your faith. Um, in other words, sharing the gospel. And um, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, um, please go to that. But just to also let you know that for many people that are celebrating uh, Halloween, this day is actually Reformation Day. Um, with, in October 31st, 1517, uh, a revolution broke out. A, a, but in the spiritual sense, it was a, a revival that took place that was over the years, uh, was leading up to that, from Wyclef to, uh, to Jan Hus, who, uh, who was burned to the stake, and, and then, 100 years later, uh, Martin Luther, who had a, an awakening when he realized that he was um, a, a priest that had all these knowledge, but he had a wrong theology, and, and, uh, and God did a work in his heart, and he nailed his uh, 95 theses on the wall, and as you can see, his door, their door was just fine. They was trying to fix his theology. He wanted to reform um, the church and bring, and what that means is, it doesn't mean to create something new. It means to go back to the Word of God. And so we thank God for, for that, that uh, God has used revivals and reformations throughout church history, um, and we need it today in the church more than ever. Um, we see that we uh, have, many churches have, have gone astray and have uh, followed teachings that tickle the ear, and um, we again need to be reforming, so uh, we always need to be reforming. So I just wanted to bring that up as, we, um, as we're talking, as many people are celebrating something else, but this is something good to remember as well, uh, to know our history. Um, so if you're in, if you have your Bibles, we'll, we'll get started in looking at Matthew chapter 10. So, this is the very words of God, and so let us read his words. So it says this, Jesus speaking, What I tell you in darkness, speak in light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven." Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. 
And so those are the very words of, of God, and we pray that there will be ears to hear what he's trying to say to us today and what he's trying to talk about here and sharing our faith boldly without fear. And so what we see in the society is a fallen world. We live in a fallen world today where there's crime and violence and all around, and we see that, that there's sin everywhere. Jeremiah said, the heart is wicked, who can understand it? And when we look at the news and we see what's taking place around us, we see that those sins all around us. And if we look in the mirror, we also do as well. But we know that Jesus is on the throne and he is reigning and he is redeeming his, this earth as he, as he draws people to himself and, and, to, and, and calling them to salvation. And one day he will restore these, this earth and the heavens will be one and we'll be in a new heavens and a new earth dwelling with him for all of eternity. So that's our hope. But if you look at these images, this was from the recent news reports. This was in New York where a 65-year-old woman was walking down the street in broad daylight. A man gets off his bike and grabs her bag and she's clinging to her bag and he begins to punch her. And if you look closely, you'll see the arrow on the very top there. You'll see some feet. And if you look at the other screen, you'll see there's multiple people around as this woman is being beat, beaten by this man. Now, if you continue on, you'll start to see there's more people around. And no one did anything. If you continue to look, here's a man walking across the street right past where she's being beaten and, and, and robbed. And no one did anything. These are, these are shocking, shocking stories, as we see in the news, more than ever. Then you see in the news just recently where it was a, a rape took place on a train in Philadelphia. You may have heard about it. And the affidavit re reported that the victim was harassed by the subject for about 40 minutes and dozens of train stops prior to the physical assault. Authorities do not believe that a single passenger called 911. In fact, the police are investigating those who have filmed the rape during that time on the train. Now one person called 911 and instead they filmed it. And this is what we're seeing. And we see also in the recent news report in Atlanta where the mayor had to say these words, put down your camera. There was a shooting and instead of calling the police or helping, they filmed the violence. We've become desensitized by our movies and our games and all these things and it's become entertainment and also the sin has, it's almost as if the hand of God has lifted and he's showing how bad we can truly be as we see this, this outbreak of a greater sin breaking out in our cities. But the reality is this. The reasons for these indifferences is because we fear men, we're lazy, and we don't care. And these are shocking, shocking stories as we see taking place on the news. But if you think about it, if we believe the word of God, that is true. That there is a hell and there's a heaven and that we are sinners that, that deserve the wrath of God. And that those who do not come to Christ will experience the judgment of God and experience the wrath of God for all of eternity. If we believe that, then why do we see lost people all around us and we do nothing about it? Just like they do on the train and on the streets. We do nothing about it. We say nothing. And we keep our faith in the gospel to ourselves. 
This is my personal story. This is my personal relationship. This is for me. And we have this postmodern view that uh, my faith is for me. This is my truth. And then you have your truth. That's not love. If you see people that are uh, in front of a train, or if you see a person in front of a bus, you don't say, well, I hope they have the knowledge enough to be, and the strength enough to get out of the way. You shout at them and you say, get out of the way. You proclaim the truth. And so what we see here in this, this chapter is that it's a practical guide uh, for, for the disciple, for the Christian. See, we're not only called to evangelize or share our faith but, and make disciples, which is then to teach them to obey, but we're commanded to do it. If you see here that in Matthew 28, there's verbs, go, make disciples. Mark 16, go, preach the gospel. And Luke 14, go, compel them. This is, this is why we're here. This is why we exist. We exist to go and proclaim the gospel, make disciples in preparation for the return of Christ, but we've lost sight of this. And we see that, that it's a work of Jesus. This chapter gives us practical guide that shows that, that in chapter, in verse 1, that Jesus summons his disciples. It's Jesus that calls his disciples. That's why he said, I chose you, you didn't choose me. That I sought you out, you didn't seek me out. But then also when we come to Christ, he also is the one that calls us to action on a mission. We see that right from verse 1 here. We also see that, that he also gives us authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us every resource we need through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. God himself living within us to be able to go forth and to fulfill our mission in this life. And Jesus sends his disciples. We see that in chapter 10, verse 7, where he says, Go and preach and that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then you see also that the disciples relied completely on, on Christ. They depended completely. He said, don't take anything except your basics. You don't need to speak eloquently and know all these theological words, although those are great things to know, but you just need to be faithful to obey and go and make disciples and preach the gospel. Trust in that the word of God will do it. God is sovereign over all things and that those who he has called will come to faith. Those who have ears to hear will come to faith. You just need to be, be uh, uh, faithful in the little things. And so they took no money. They were only the basics, and they relied on, on Christ completely. See, the thing is that we often get lazy, and we don't care about it. We get comfortable, and we stay in our comfort zones rather than going out and proclaiming the gospel. And Charles Spurgeon said... Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So this is the question. Is, are we an imposter? Are we a missionary? Are we passionate for lost souls that are flooding into hell every single day in your own households? And are we passionate about going out and proclaiming the gospel, the good news? The good news that Jesus Christ, who is God, came off the throne and thought of you and lived the life that you could not live perfectly, and then went to the cross and bore the wrath of God that you deserved. All grace. Dude, why would we not want to share that? And then we see here in our verses in chapter 27 that we are commanded to share our faith. 
As he says, what I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And so Jesus spoke in what you could say in the darkness, in parables. He spoke in code language, so, and it was for a purpose. Because certain people could understand and others could not. And that's exactly what happens in evangelism. Those who have ears to hear, Jesus says often, that when God does a work in our heart, and he changes our heart from stone to flesh, and we're able to hear something, you can probably look back in your life and say, I look at that verse years ago, I had no idea what that meant. It meant nothing to me. But today, it means something totally different. I understand it in its proper context because he's given me ears to hear. In Matthew 13, 35, it says that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. He will open his mouth up in parables. And I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. In, uh, in Matthew 13, 10 through 11, it says, Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak in, in parables? And he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So rejoice if this has been given to you. That's a gift. In, Matthew, in John 16, 29-33, it says this, His disciples said, Now you're speaking plainly, and you're not using figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that by, you're, you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe, now that I'm speaking clearly? Behold, an hour is coming, and it already has come, for you'll be scattered, each one to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because my Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you, so that you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. A friend of mine who's a pastor in, uh, in Pennsylvania, he often says that we come to gather to learn all these things and to edify one another and build each other up and prepare ourselves for a mission, and then we scatter. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm scattering you soon where you will stand and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He said, what I speak in, in the light, speak clearly. He's saying, speak clearly. What? So he's saying, don't, you don't need to know all these fancy things. Just speak clearly. Take the gospel, take the information I've given you, and speak clearly. And then we see also that he said, whispered in your ear. What I've whispered in your ear, private teaching. See, doctors of the day were known to whisper their doctrine in the ear of a person, and an interpreter would proclaim it in that native language. And Jesus is saying that what you learn from me in private, now take it out. Don't hold it to yourselves. Take it outside. What you learn here in the church building and sermons and Bible studies and personal prayer time and, and house groups and all these things, take it out to the rooftops. Take it out to the people. Don't hold it in within yourself. If you, if you look at what he's saying here, he's saying to go and proclaim the gospel boldly. He said, your faith is a gift in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. It says that so no man can boast. And in Romans 10 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So he uses the proclamation of the gospel. So if faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, then how is that to be proclaimed? How are you supposed to share that faith? It is, comes through the gospel. 
See, our testimonies are that we can incorporate the gospel in it. I was a wretched sinner that was going down this, to this path, and yet Christ found me in my, and when I wasn't seeking him, and he did a work in my heart, and he, I know that Christ died for my sins, and, he, and I'm saved, and I have the assurance of salvation because of Christ. Not because of anything I've done, but because of him. I've been saved by grace through faith, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That is a testimony and the gospel incorporated right there. And so what we see is that faith is not to be only guarded in the heart or in private, but taken to the housetop and to hear. They would do that often. They would use the flat roofs in, in ancient times and they would use it to announce things. And he's saying, go on the rooftop where all can hear and see you and proclaim the gospel. And John Cheeseman said, evangelism is not persuading people to make a decision. It's not proving that God exists or making out a good case for the truth of Christianity. It's not inviting someone to a meeting. It's not exposing the contemporary dilemma or arousing interest in Christianity. It's not wearing a badge saying Jesus saves. Some of these things might be right and good in their place. But none of them should be confused with evangelism. To evangelize is to declare on the authority of God that he has done what he has done to save sinners, to warn men of their lost condition, and to direct them to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we believe the word of God is true, as I mentioned earlier, then why don't we do it? Why are we so comfortable in it? Why there's only a few people that are passionate about it? When the whole church is called to do this. And there should be this urgency. If we truly love our neighbor, we would care about their condition of their soul. So we need to be about the Father's business. We need to go out and preach the gospel. And it's, it's, we need to remind them of the bad news. The bad news is we are sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And sometimes, yes, we have to break it down because people say, well, I'm not a bad person. We say, okay, well, have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? Well, yeah. Well, that's blasphemy. Well, have you ever got angry with someone? Jesus said in Matthew 5 that that's murder from in the heart. It's about the heart condition. So now you start breaking down these Ten Commandments and they're like, oh, all right, I'm not that good of a person. And you start with that bad news sometimes. You have to do that. Because we love them. We need to, we need to warn them of, of what's coming. But then there's this beauty of the gospel. That although that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and that beautiful line in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, but God, being rich in mercy, that by his grace we've been saved, said no man can boast. It's the work of Christ alone. In the Reformation it was solo Christus. Christ alone. That I don't need no pope to, to tell me that I'm, that I'm saved. I don't need, I don't need some, some individual to declare me uh, saved. I don't need anything else. I don't need the saints. I don't need to pray to anybody else. I have one mediator. I have one intercessor, and that is Jesus Christ, who came off of his throne thinking of you and me. And it took upon himself my sins. What else do I need? And why would I hold that inside? And in 30, 28 through 31, it says, fear God, not man. So oftentimes we, we fear men, and that's why we don't speak up. And we see here, he says, don't fear the one that can kill the body, but it can't kill your soul. 
but fear the one that can destroy the body and the soul in hell. You see this besides being lazy or uncaring. Another reason for we fail is to share our faith is because we fear men. We, we oftentimes don't speak up because we're afraid. Sometimes when we're doing evangelism in the street, I have a, a friend of mine and I can speak for myself as well. And he, he said, I, I, I wanted to say something, but I didn't say it. And he, he said, I have to repent, brother. I, 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 need, I, I need to, I was fearing man. And then he gets back up and he starts street preaching again. <laughs> but he knew in that moment, he knew that in that moment he should have said something and he stayed quiet. And I've had those moments too because my personality is not to go and, and preach. It's not to be up here and it's certainly not to do it in the street. But there's something that sometimes when through the power of God that you can take the weakest person that is the least likely to ever do anything because of their personality or whatever they might be and he uses them. And who gets the glory? Solo Deo Gloria, as the Reformation would say, for the glory of God alone. And we see this, that man can't do anything. The only thing he can do is destroy your body, and where you end up is in heaven. So that's the worst you got for me? Went Fine. It's okay. So Jesus reveals the truth about the existence of hell. He spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Jesus didn't just sit around with tax collectors and prostitutes and just like shoot the breeze. No, he was preaching the gospel. He was calling them to repentance. And he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And he reveals that the body and the soul will endure his full wrath for all of eternity. If that doesn't shake us to go and to proclaim the gospel, I don't know what else can. And there we must, therefore we must not fear the one who can who we must fear the one who we will stand before and give account of everything we have done and also what we failed to do. In Matthew 10, 16, it says that, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of, of wolves, so be shrewd like serpents and innocent as doves. He's saying that you need to be wise and use discernment, that you know when it's time to, to run and, and when it's time. To, we don't have this martyr mentality where we just go out and we just want to be martyred. No, we, we're wise in everything that we do, but at the same time, we're blameless. We're innocent as doves. And so they were taken to, to face persecution. They were taken to courts. They were beaten for the sake of the gospel. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples were uh, standing before the, the judges, and they, they said that you need to stop preaching the gospel. And he said, we fear God over man. And they, they said, well, if, if this is of God, then we can't do anything about it. So just let's beat them and release them, they, and we'll see what happens. And they beat them, and they released them, and they counted it all joy that they were beaten for the sake of Christ. And then what did they do? They went and they proclaimed the gospel from the, from the housetops, house to house. And in Matthew 10, 24, Jesus says these stirring words. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. If they called Jesus a devil, if they treated him as an enemy of the state, then why would we expect to be treated kindly in a world that hates the truth? Yeah, if you, if you water down the gospel and you sugarcoat everything and you say Jesus is all love and not wrath, if you never talk about sin, if you begin to distort the gospel, yeah, that would, that would draw crowds because that's what we want. We don't want truth. Don't tell me the truth about me. I want, I want psychology. I want you to tell me what I want to hear. 
I want you to say that I'm, I'm a good person, that I have the power within me. A recent uh, well-known preacher that many people follow, unfortunately, had the nerve to say that Jesus didn't come to change you to be something new. He came to change you to be what you already are within yourself. Now that's, that's, that's heresy. That's not true. Because what you are in yourself is a wretched sinner. You are the valley of the dead bones that we see in Ezekiel. That's who we, we are without Christ. No, but he makes us new, alive in Christ, brand new. And so we need to remember that, that we, if, if, if they treated Jesus that way, they'll treat us that way. But then he gives this word of encouragement there about the sparrow. The sparrow was a small bird that was sold for a few cents. They were usually the sacrifice of the poor that couldn't give a lamb or a bull. And they were considered insignificant. But then you look in Matthew 6, 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And in Matthew 10, 29, he says, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. So not only does he provide for their nourishment, but also the date of their death, the bird that falls off the tree, was known by God and ordained to fall off that tree in that moment. So he knows that you will be taken care of as you live this Christian life, as you go out and proclaim the gospel, but also he knows the date of your death and that there's no man that can take your life that God has not already authorized and said, that's the day and that's how it's going to happen. So why do we fear? And then we look, if we think about this song that in 1905, that there was a song written about the sparrow. And, it, and it, Miss, Miss Doolittle, who inspired the song, was a bedridden for 20 years. And then Mr. Doolittle was, a, had an, was an incurable cripple. And when the author of this hymn asked them, why do you share the gospel? Why do you help people? Why do you care so much when you are bedridden and crippled? And he responded, he said, his eye is on the sparrow and he, I know he watches me. And if you read those words, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him, but care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, I know he cares for me. And then you look at even deeper what he's saying here. He says that also the hairs of your head, that if he cares about the smallest insignificant bird, and also he knows the details on your scalp, that's pretty profound. Why would we fear when that's the God that we serve? We have 100,000 scalp hair follicles. And the, the thing is that scientists spend time and money and technology and trying to even figure out, I don't even know why they're doing this, but they, that blondes have 150,000 and redheads have 90,000 and black and brown hair has 100 to 110,000. Why would they need to know that? I don't know. But they have to use technology. They have to all this stuff, and it's only estimates. But if you look about what he says, he says he doesn't say that I'm counting your hairs. He does know that. But he says this, I numbered them. He says every hair of your head are numbered. 
In other words, that hair that you lost in the shower this morning, he said that was 89,115 that fell out today. He knows, he numbers even your hairs. So imagine how much he cares for you. And he's watching over you. He's protecting you. So we don't need to fear in this life. Not in evangelism and not in anything. And then we see in verses 32 and 33 that there is a price for disobedience. Excuse me. (laughs) There's a price for disobedience. He says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men... I will confess him before my Father. And everyone who denies me before men, I would deny them. Those are terrifying words. A shepherd's job is to keep the sheep away from the wolves. Yet Jesus in verse 16 said, I'm sending you out in the midst of the wolves. And then this is a culturally shocking statement for people that understand shepherding. And he's saying, I'm sending you out to danger, but I'm going to protect you. There are witnesses, uh, they, they are witnesses, and this is a Greek word that's martos, and, and that word is where we get martyr from. We are witnesses to testify that God has, what God has done through, uh, for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So this is the thing is that we're witnesses. So martyrs is not just that we're, that we're dying for the cause of Christ. That martyr is also that we are being a witness. We're actively witnessing and, and sharing the gospel. And that will oftentimes will face persecution. That may come in different forms. It may come from rejection from our family and those who are close to us. It may come by death. But he's saying to rest. We have an unflinching zeal and a calm discretion. So he says, confess, proclaim, proclaim me before men. Don't be ashamed. This is not, uh, well, I'm a Christian. This is my relationship with God as a personal relationship with God. And I don't, you know, do you and I'll do me and we'll we'll have peace. No, that's saying proclaim it. Be bold. Be bold at what Christ has done for you. People should be annoyed by how much you talk about Jesus. Your faith that God has given you is not to be maintained in private. It is to be declared before all, regardless of the cost. However, if you deny Christ before anyone, you will be denied before God the Father on Judgment Day. So denial just doesn't come by, the, by saying, I renounce Christ. Our silence is an oftentimes a way of denial. So you don't just have faith simply because you profess it, but because you possess it. And so because you possess it, then you will proclaim it. Our lives must be a confession of our faith. And therefore our profession comes not out of, just out of words and in good times, but through the, the way we live in, in the darkest times and in every way that we live. It, it just comes out in the way, in thought, word, and deed. And then we see in 2 Timothy 2, 10 through 13, For this reason I did endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Sorry about that. Um, Christ Jesus and with eternal glory. It is, this is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
And so every person will one day stand before God on the day of judgment, and those who have not turned to Christ will, take, will have to be accountable for every sin they've ever committed, and they will be condemned for their sin. And for those that are Christians, we don't have to fear condemnation because of the work of Christ. But we also will be judged for our works. You have faith, show me works now. Show me that you have faith. And so we need to be willing to risk everything for Christ. 34 and 36 says, do not think I come to bring peace. Now that is contradictory to what the world tries to portray Christ as. As the shampoo model that just loves everybody and just, you know, just wants to, you know, just tolerates everything and just wants to, you know, Pain everything is the moment you start evangelizing in places like universities and abortion clinics and all these other places. The first thing they say is, "That's not the Jesus I know," and they'll say, "You're judging." These are they think that's the eleventh commandment: judge not. But the, that's the thing is that Jesus is saying this. This the people will react that way. The gospel is offensive. That that it it will that it will cause divisions. That it will cause divisions even in your households. And you think about Matthew 10, 21, it says that brother will betray brother to death and a father, his child, and children will rise up against his parents. And, and you'll see that you'll be hated by all because of my name. And it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. So the closest to you may, may stay away from you, may abandon you, may reject you, and in some cases will put you to death as we see in nations like Islamic nations. J.C. Rao said this, Never let us be guilty of sacrificing any portion of the truth on the altar of peace. And that's something that we need to remember. That, that in this life, that it's easy to say the things that tickle the ear. It's easy to stay quiet. And just assume, oh, that's the thing, we often assume because I'm Christian, my children are going to be Christian. But in our households, we have children that are lost. We have parents that are lost. We have aunts and uncles that are lost. We have friends that are lost. We have coworkers that are lost. When you go to the grocery store, they're lost. We're like that movie, I see dead people. We're dead in our sins and trespasses, and we see them all around, and yet we do nothing about it. So we must take risk and we must never sacrifice the truth for the truth will set us free. 37 and 39 says that Christ is worthy. Christ is worthy. But he, then he flips it on us. Is he worthy to you? He who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who loves his life more than me is not worthy of me. Do you choose to be silent about the truth because you value the father and mother who bore you more than Christ? Do you not take risk to answer the call to keep your children comfortable or permit sinful behavior so that the children you bore will be like you, will like you and not view you as uncool or fanatic or legalistic? Are, you the, cool, are, are the things closest to you from the people to possessions of greater value than Christ. And so do you not obey his commands and will for your life? If that is the case, Jesus said, if I am not worthy to you, then you are not worthy of me. 
In him, you move and breathe and you have your being. In him alone, you will find eternal hope. And therefore, if he is worthy, take up your cross and boldly proclaim the gospel to the lost and perishing world. You think about that, that there was uprisings taking place during this time. And they would crucify thousands and thousands of Jews. And so when Jesus is saying these words, there were literally all across the the roads, thousands of bodies hanging on trees. He wasn't just saying something that was like this code. You're going to take up your cross and follow me. Like we often use that as like a, you know, like a t-shirt logo. No, he was saying, you see these crosses? Am I worthy of being hung on a tree like that? You think about the story of John Bunyan. He said this. He said, I found myself a man encompassed with infirmities. The parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place, he was in jail, as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. And that not only because I am somewhat too fond of these great mercies, but also because I should have often brought to mind the many hardships and miseries and wants that my poor family was like to meet with should I be taken from them especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all I had besides. Oh, the thoughts of the hardship my poor blind one might go under would break my heart to pieces. Yet recalling myself, thought I, I must venture you all with God, though it goeth to the quickest to, to quick to leave you. Oh, I saw in this condition I was a man who was pulling his house upon the head of his wife and children. And yet thought I, I must do it. I must do it. John Bunyan stood before the judge and he said, My Lord, I appreciate the court's efforts to be, as you have put it, accommodating. But again, I refuse your terms. I must repeat that it is God who constrains me to preach. And no man or company of men may grant or deny me leave to preach. These licenses of which you speak, my Lord, are symbols not of a right, but of a privilege. Implied therein is the principle that a mere man can extend or withhold them according to his whim. I speak not of privileges, but rights. Privileges granted to men may be denied by men. Rights are granted by God and can be legitimately denied by no man. I must therefore refuse to comply. He could have, he could have, been, take, he could have left jail. He was in jail for preaching the gospel. But instead of obeying what the, the, the demands of the law, he stayed in jail And the judge Wingate replied, Well, Mr. Bunyan, since you persist in your intractability, and since you reject this court's honest effort to compromise, you leave us no choice but to commit you to Bedford jail for a period of six years, which ultimately proved to cost Bunyan 12 years. If you manage to survive, he said, I should think that your experience will correct your thinking If you fail to survive, that will be unfortunate. In any event, I strongly suspect that we have heard the last we shall ever hear of Mr. Bunyan. Now can I hear the next case? John Bunyan replied, I will stay in prison till the moss grows on the eyelids, rather disobey God. 
And in jail, John Bunyan wrote the second most sold book of all time, Pilgrim's Progress. We didn't hear the last of John Bunyan. When we think about this, 2 Timothy 1 through 8, if you break that down, be not ashamed of the gospel of the, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of my afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us to Christ Jesus before the world began. Be not ashamed of the testimony of God, of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of Christ, because he was not ashamed of you. He came to save someone who rejected him all of our lives, and yet when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Be a partaker of the afflictions of Christ. Be bold and be willing to suffer for Christ. He did it for you. We're commanded to do it. And we are to do, and we, we are to do this out of profound love and devotion to Christ who saved us according to his power. And he did not save us because of anything we did, but because of, the, of, of, because of what he did. And that it was his purpose and grace for our life that he did this for us. Before the world began, it says. And therefore, the least we can do is to go into all the world and share our faith which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that those he chose in eternity past, who he is patiently waiting for someone to preach to, so that they may come and dwell together in a new heavens and new earth. So we are called and commanded to share our faith. We, are, we must not fear, but we must boldly proclaim Christ. For Christ is worthy of our proclamation. And he uses our proclamation to draw his elect for salvation from eternal damnation for eternal glory. Charles Spurgeon said this, and think about this. If you think about this story in the movie Time to Kill, there was an ending of the, where the young girl was violated by a man. And the, the court, he said, he's trying to move their emotions. And he says, now, can you picture this young girl that she's, she's beaten and she's, she's covered with blood? And all these, he goes through all these gory details. And he pauses and he says, now imagine her being white. And what he was doing, he was, he was trying, to, trying to put those people to imagine them to look like their child so that they would judge accordingly. When we think about the lost in this world, and you look at each one, if you look at it and say, that's my child, but that's someone else's child too. That's somebody else's child that, that needs Christ, that well, one day could flood into hell, and how could I live with myself that I did not share the gospel? It's almost like that in, in, in the Schindler's List where he had the, 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 the ring, and he said, this could have saved one more life. Why don't we have that mentality? And regardless of the cost, if our children reject us with, and they, they think that we're just, you stop preaching to me, stop, stop, stop saying all these things, just let me live my life, let me do my thing, even if they reject us. But yet, Charles Spurgeon said this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap into hell over our dead bodies. As if, and if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees imploring them to stay 
If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exhortations and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. And so we do this because Christ is worthy and because we love our neighbor. We love others. We lost their souls to have an eternal destination. You may recognize this song, and if you know that, that response line, you're welcome to say as we go, but the reason why we do this is for the glory of God alone. Do you feel the world's broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepening? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. It is good that we remind ourselves of this. It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He's the David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessings and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell with us again? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every tribe, people and tribe and nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and a priest to God to reign with his son. So is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessings and honor and glory? Is he worthy? He is. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given us the privilege to participate in drawing people to Christ through the proclamation of the gospel by sharing our faith. We thank you for the work you've done in our hearts that we were dead in our trespasses. We were sinners undeserving of your grace and yet you loved us so much that you sent your only son to die for us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray, Lord God, that you will convict us and and strengthen us and embolden us to go forth and proclaim the gospel and never forget these words. Go into all the world and make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.